Recorded live at Toxin Tasting Studios, it's the Clerical Errors Podcast. The podcast that shows you what's behind the collar. Let's go. From the Toxin Tasting Studios, this is Bull Hagen. I'm Vicar. Welcome to the show. It's just us today. So, uh, you know, it's a week after Easter. Everyone's catching their breath. Peter's working overtime. So hopefully we don't mess this up. For the show today... Um, we will be talking about, obviously, the text for the Sunday. Um, we have a question that's been asked of us that we will answer, or will seek to answer for someone. And uh, if we have time, we will go through a sermon I found uh, preached uh, in uh, Homiletics 2 by me in 1996. All right. So... So uh, how you doing, Vicar? Pretty good. Just kind of enjoying going through the full process of Easter, you know, Holy Week, and what, what, what's recover. your what's your breakdown? By the way, I, I've got a a uh, Arnold Palmer diet, and you've got one of your Summit Red Thunder energy drinks. Red Thunder. That's a an Aldi version of a Red Bull. And it's delicious. Ah. So break down Holy Week. What's your overall takeaway from Holy Week? Your well, f- first time being on this end of it. I, I thought it was kind of a fun marathon. I do enjoy a challenge. And, you know, it does challenge you a little bit to conserve energy for those evening services back to back. And uh, I thought, you know, it wasn't like we just pulled it off. I thought it went well. It was well. They were well attended. Mm-hmm. And it was it was nice. It was. How how was it different? Because you you grew up in a you had a pastor father. How was it different than maybe how you experienced it uh, from that aspect of how you saw your your father do it, or how the you know, what are your memories of how Holy was week was and being in a pastor's family? Well, I think I remember the Good Friday services being more of an afternoon than evening. Okay. And then we didn't do the Easter vigil service, so that was, that the, was, first time you, that was the first time. So what did you think of that? I thought that was really cool with all the candlelight and start outside with the fire. That was it was an it was a neat experience, something to consider to keep doing. Mm-hmm. There, there's a particular uh, eighth grader in my confirmation class who uh, is a lot like me at that age, and uh, he goes. He said, I like this service because he was helping out because I get to move around. Yeah. <laughs> I also like how all those texts are selected to show how the Old Testament always spoke about resurrection and even baptism. Mm-hmm. So so we, anything that, uh, as we went into it, we had that top 12, any of the top 12 list of getting ready, any of those really resonate with you? I, I thought of one to add. What's that? Um... It was for that uh, Palm Sunday. A pro tip would be don't watch Shrek before that because then when the text is about a donkey, all you think about is that talking donkey. <laughs> That's what happened to me. Sorry. Such a kid. Yeah. Well, you know, it reminds me, though, like a good um, Easter sermon, though, will have layers like an onion. Mm-hmm. Like Shrek. <laughs> Cakes have layers, too. <laughs> um. Yeah, I thought uh, um, what I try to give off to the vicar is a, a relaxed demeanor a little bit. Yeah, and I'll give an example of that. You had the sunrise service with a nice uh, Easter sermon, a very you know powerful one, and I felt like mine was for the second service after that could just be kind of the come back down from that. It, it's no matter what, it's still a vicar sermon, right? But it took the pressure off. People already heard a good one. And actually, that's that's the one we uh, I, I recorded for the podcast. So if you wonder what sermon that what that sermon actually sounded like, you can listen to it. So I just try to have a little fun with mine. Put a personal story in there. and My family had no idea, but they were happy to hear it too. <laughs> that's always dangerous. Um, and I, I noticed that uh, we got a text from Hannah that uh, she followed the advice. I'm officially influenced her. She showed a picture of her steak and potatoes that she had on Easter. 
Brilliant, yeah. isn't it? Mm-hmm. We we went that route the day after Easter because we already had some uh, kind of a family tradition for Easter. What's that? A ham and potato scallop casserole. Oh, it's that's my easy mom's too because you can just yeah. throw it together and then pop it in the right. oven. Yep. But that, that's my thing. Like, don't overdo it. Make it. You want it to be nice. You want it to be. Um, something that everyone enjoys, a celebration. Certainly, you need to have a meal of several celebration on Easter, right? Yep. But at the same time, uh, make it easy. Good advice. All right. So, yeah, I thought thought everything went well. Um, and uh, I wonder what it was like for Berg. He'll have to let us know. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> we could call him, but that would be mean right now. Peter, the producer, came back to our house. Uh, enjoy it with us as well. So yeah, it was it was good, it was it was good, and so that brings us to the text. This actually is an interesting week for you, right? Because uh, um, I wanted you to get to some preaching, and we had this discussion. Usually, I give you a couple of weeks to prepare, mm-hmm. but uh, for this week, uh, then the following week is confirmation. The following week, um, I didn't want to preach again because then I'm going on vacation, and I didn't want you to have to do three in a row. So Easter came, boom, and I gave you the the next text to preach this Sunday. So, so what what is it like to? Because even your your Lenten and your Easter service, you actually prepared in advance. This is like your first sermon I think I've given you. Where like, boom, preach on Sunday. How's that experience for you? Well, even though I worked ahead a little bit for the Lent midweeks, at some point that caught up to me just because you get busy writing them and rewriting them and doing everything else. Mm-hmm. So I got in this habit of working on one a week through Lent, mm-hmm. and it just continued. So, I mean, it was just keep on going. Keep on. Just, I'm not stressing it. Just That's good. You have some experience. Enjoy it, you know. Being ready for when you preach every week. Yeah. In, in the parish, so. And uh, in a couple of days, by the way, we'll find out where 17.0 is going. Yep. And we'll find out about who 19.0 is going to be. You think he's ready for this? He has no idea. Do you have any advice? Because you know, I, how soon did the podcast get brought up when you... Well, I'm kind of wondering if I'm going to get a phone call. Adam did, but I already knew him, right? Okay. So I called him. But we'll find out who it is. Will they call to... Because I, you know, I could fill him in and give him some ideas. Because truth be told, I don't actually make the vicar do the podcast, mm-hmm. right? Right. I mean, I would be disappointed. <laughs> you have to embrace the experience. You're sent to a unique place. To me, right? it's it's kind of like it. it's kind of like one of those things where it actually is kind of a neat opportunity for you to learn to do something like this to to get comfortable talking in front of a microphone like this. Because who knows when you know if we have this technology available, um, how how it can. It might it become be an arm helpful. of the church. Yeah. Yeah. All right. So so with that in mind, you're preaching. And uh, one reason why I also thought it wouldn't be that bad for you to preach, because I think it's a pretty easy text to preach on. What is it? What is the text? So it's John 20, uh, 19 to 31. It's when Jesus appears on Easter evening uh, to the disciples who are behind locked doors hiding. Okay. So I'll read it. How about, let's, uh, why don't you read a little bit and we'll, we'll stop and talk about it. Okay. So, so when you feel comfortable, just stop. Yeah. There's some natural breaks here. So yeah. I'll take yeah. the first one. On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were for fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, peace be with you. All right. Stop there. So let, let's break this down. So, so, uh, they're in a locked room because mm-hmm. they're afraid of those who, Killed Jesus, right? Right, because this is just days after. Mm-hmm. I mean, you'd still be a little shaken up, right? They didn't know their Lord could die, mm-hmm. and so they're afraid. And then Jesus appears to them in the locked room, and then he says, "Peace be with you." Now, as a good, good seminary student, right? Explain those words. <clears throat> that peace be with you is peace with God that they now have from his wrath because Jesus was raised and the atonement has taken place. So he is raised to 
which means God accepted his death as atonement for our sins. All right. And that's something that we've incorporated in in our liturgy. Mm-hmm. So, so when I say peace, the peace of the Lord be with you, what am I saying? Your sins are forgiven, and you are now right with God through Christ. So, so as He appears, He says, "Peace be with you." And, and to me, also, you, you can hearken back to to uh, the angels' message when when they appeared and were afraid to the to the shepherds. You know? Right. That uh, verse 19 also starts out the first day of the week, so we have this sense of the first day of new creation as well. Right. Uh, first day and last day, right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> right. All right. Continue on. When he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side. I'll stop there for a second. All right. So I find this interesting. Uh, for example, my mother-in-law is kind of. She uh, actually was called to glory about a year and a half ago now. And uh, when she had been here to visit just a few weeks before, she said, mentioned it was a surprise, but she mentioned how uh, how uh, excited she was going to be in heaven because she was going to be tall. Because I'm tall, and she was. She claimed to be five feet. You know. Mm-hmm. You know how it is. And she said, "Well, I can't wait when I'm in heaven." That I'll, I'll be tall, too. And you look at the resurrected Jesus, like he's the same guy, right? Yep. Right. Not only <laughs> so. So I, I would like told her, well, you know what? You will be perfected in that. You'll be happy with how tall you are there. <laughs> but if you but if you look at Jesus, um, it is interesting. How Jesus, in his risen, perfected state, still bears the wounds. He does. He always is the crucified one. That's something that they actually, in, if you look yeah. at uh, the older art, they something they understood. So, mm-hmm. like, if you see a, a picture of uh, John the Baptist in glory, what is he doing? Do you know? No. He's holding his head in his hands. Oh. <laughs> I haven't seen that one yet. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> But that, that's a pretty important theological point, that he is, present tense, the crucified one. He still is. He still is. He will be tomorrow. And those marks are a mm-hmm. sign of glory, not of shame. Right. right. He proudly wears them with honor. Right. All right, keep going. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. Oh, by the way, it also points us to the fact that the resurrection is actually a bodily resurrection. Right. All right. I, sorry, go ahead. Well, I think that's too important that their fear turned to gladness after that. Sure. Jesus said to them again, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, ever so I am sending you. All right. So so they sent Jesus saying, The Father sent me with the full authority of God, mm-hmm. right? And now I am sending you with the authority that I have, right? Yep. So, so what is that authority? Ultimately, he'll say later, is to forgive sins, right? Right. But did you notice how uh, clear and succinct this passage is? And you did, because you studied it, of course. That uh, this is kind of the, what does uh, this mean when we look at the resurrection? He appears to his disciples. They see it's him. They show him his hands and his side. And immediately says, okay, now I'm sending you. Yep. And you're going to be Jesus now to these people. They don't have to search all over high and low. Where you go with my word and my spirit, so also I go, not only with, um, with uh, you know, warming your heart along the way, you know, the way most people think Jesus is with me, you know. He pats his hand on my back, and he, he walks with me, and he talks with me, and he's on me, carrying me on the on the beach. But really, this is... Ah, oh, beach. I digress. I feel like Berg would point out. Something. Wait, 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 wait! Go I'm ahead. still thinking about the beach. Okay. Oh, that's that's not too far away. The vacation. Yeah, the vacation. Snorkeling a little. Man, you know, two weeks from now, uh, hopefully we're not sunburned, but it, you know. But cooked enough. Right. Right. 
look look enough color to say, yeah, he's been having a good time. No farmer tan going. Just find some waves and beach noises to have play for the podcast while you're gone. Man, I have been troubled. Like I need help, uh, help with a lack of attention. Man, since I've got this vacation going, it's hard, man. Something to look forward to. Anyways, I digress. We're gonna have to make you do one of those assignments like you made me do for Advent with hunting, so I would <laughs> stop talking about it. How does your vacation compare to our certain hopeful waiting for the our own resurrection? Uh, well, I, and I, I know it's coming, and I know when. That's the difference, <laughs> right? Right. Let's get back to the text. Okay. So <laughs> Jesus is sending them. I feel like Berg would point out something about the importance of being sent with the authority to speak on someone else's behalf, because messengers carried the force of whoever sent them. Right. If you, you can hearken this. You can say, in a sense, this harkens back to Jesus' own baptism, mm-hmm. right? Because when Jesus was baptized, he was anointed by the Father. This is my beloved Son. He did not really preach until after he had been sent and by his Father, not only sent by his Father, but what else happened? The Holy Spirit Rested came to him, him as a dove, as if to say, now you have the authority here as my sent one, my anointed one, to preach my word. Which was the sign John was waiting for to see. Right, right. right. And so now, as he appears, and he says, now this is what this means, disciples, now... As I was sent, now I am sending you. And then he breathes on him and says, receive the Holy Spirit. Well, you have to go back to Jesus' own baptism again, right? The Holy Spirit came to him as a dove. Here they are sent by the power of the Holy Spirit. And the Holy Spirit and, and, the, and, the, and the power and the authority of Jesus and his word. And this is mirrored in our creeds with the Holy Spirit proceeding from the Father and the Son. Mm-hmm. So now they see that too. Yeah, well, the 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 breathe and the the Holy Spirit also. Um, of course, I'm I'm getting ahead of myself because you actually haven't read that yet. But we're getting he breathes on them and says, "Receive the Holy Spirit." Right. Right. And and that carries with it all sorts of things. It carries with it what's going to happen at Pentecost with the wind, right? It carries the creation where where God breathed into Adam and gave him the breath of life. Mm-hmm. Um. It goes back to Solomon in the temple and the, the mighty wind as the temple was blessed. It, it, it is the wind spirit. You go to Ezekiel. Ruach. Ruach, wind, spirit, yes. You go back to Ezekiel where it prophesied to the wind and the breath of life entered the slain that they may live. And so uh, this is anointing them to preach with the full authority of, of the Word of God. And from Matthew chapter 28... We see that the authority is not only just to preach, but to also make disciples and to baptize them. Sneak peek of the sermon. There you go. Did you see what I was pointing at? Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, behind the collar moment, um, Vicar has a sermon done, and I have yet to completely read it. And I, I said, hey, we can just do this over the, the podcast. And he said, no. That it'd be, it'd be more fun to see if I missed anything after we talk about all this. Okay. So maybe so, after our discussion, you was like, hey, can I? Can you look at my sermon this <laughs> afternoon? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> all right. So breath, and then, and then go ahead. And then, bam, we get this. If you forgive the sins of anyone, they are forgiven. If you withhold the f- forgiveness from anyone, it is withheld. And we have this in the Office of the Keys, right, in our catechism. Mm-hmm. Right. So, so uh, one dichotomy, one, let's start with the differences, okay? So how, for example, would the Roman Catholic Church look at those words? Hmm. You might have to tell me. I'm not following. Okay. They would look at that as, in a sense, the anointing of these apostles with this authority to bind and loose sins, right? Mm-hmm. Um, they would say it is where we would say it's dependent on the Word of God, Right, right. They, These they, folks they, would be sainted as well. They where... would say, in a sense, okay, this is the church. This is a church, uh, the rock on which God will build, and so this authority granted to them is passed on from, from through ordination, through apostolic succession. And that that doesn't necessarily always have to be dependent on the word of God. 
So, for example, this is why Catholics and Lutherans always talk past each other, where where, where all the things that we, we talk about, where, where is this in the Bible, praying to the saints, where is this purgatory, where are all these things, where do you find that in the Bible? And the Catholics says, just will shrug their head, well, that's what the church says. Right, tradition. They have, the, and so histor- historically, when, when Pope would get mad and, and uh, use his power to excommunicate here and there, well, where do you have that authority? The Luther would say, well, they would say, well, we've got this from Jesus himself, you know? Go, then they would probably direct us to this passage. You see what he did there? He gave us the right yeah. to forgive sins and with retain sins according to what he he gave that to us. So are you going to deny what Christ has given us, the church, to do? And so... Uh, and, and then they can put all sorts of stipulations on the forgiveness. Right. Do right. this first. Pay that. Which then leads to, to the one of the, the great hallmarks of the Reformation, mm-hmm. where Jesus... Or Jesus, Martin Luther, the word of God was open to him. And uh, wait a minute. And so, especially remember, um, the Spirit is one of truth. And uh, something that Jesus says earlier in John uh, let them be one as we are one. Keep them in your truth. Your mm-hmm. word is truth. Your spirit is truth. The Spirit is equated with truth. And the truth is given in the word of God. And the apostles there are anointed to preach that word of God, which they do in their preaching and their writing. Uh, right, writing the scriptures after this, the gospel. As Jesus said, mm-hmm. that he would, the Holy Spirit would bring into remembrance all that he had done. So, so that all plays a role in, in this, and in understanding that this authority that he gives must be in accordance not with the the hierarchical church, the authority of the church in general, but really accompanied with the word of God, so that when people essentially are arguing this case, when my sins are forgiven or not, because, oh, you're being so judgmental. This is why it's important that we show, you know, in repentance, your argument is not with me as a pastor or us as a church. Your argument is actually with the word of God and the spirit who works through that word to breathe life into us. Because if it is not according to the word of God, then we are being judgmental when it comes to this office, the binding and loosing. And if, if you are going to say, bind someone to their sins, you better be sure it is done in accordance with what Christ said, according to what the Ten Commandments say, and, and, and not by anything else. And that's where pastors would have too, their conscience on being faithful to God's word instead of looking the other way for something. And that's also when a pastor falls into sin. Um, this was another way this helps. Let's say a pastor, you know, recently there was a, a big hubbaloo about a priest not using the right words for a baptism or something like that. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that same kind of thing could happen if a pastor... Uh, says, well, I renounces a faith after he served like 20 or 30 years or something like that, right? Well, was the authority in the pastor? Was it in him that God gave to the apostles who ordained all these men that I can follow my ordination, my role as a pastor all the way back to them? Or is it in accordance with the word of God? And if it's according with the word of God, the authority was in the word, not in the pastor. Not in the pastor. Right. Which is why we, we make a separation between the man and and, and the word. This is why it's important, I think, to wear robes on Sunday, uh, that he is, in a sense, covering up the man and, and uh, elevating the word of God, because that's where the true authority is, and that's how you forgive sins. But uh, the, when, we, when you look at this, the great authority that God has given to the church and to preachers, the pastor, called by Christ, called by the congregation as well, uh, to do this, that uh, um, people don't like to hear that. You know, we live in a time where, okay, well, all that means is you just then go to the Methodist church will help you feel better about your sin. Right. Do you hear a lot about, as a circuit visitor, do you ever hear or get the sense that some churches are reminding the pastor he works for them when and forgetting that he's working for God? Yeah, that, that happens all, all the time. Um, 
where in a sense uh, he is a hired hand, right? When actually he was he's an under shepherd of Christ. So, so, um, and he answers to God's word. His ordination vows are not necessarily according to uh, how he fulfills the church. Your suspected duties of him. It's how do you confess and teach the faith? Um, uh, do you carry out the sacraments according to Christ's command? And then that's where his ultimate, his loyalties are, and which is where, as a parishioner, you want it to be. You don't want him to be beholden to you. Um, now, that being said, if if the pastor on the other flip side of that is not preaching the word of God in a way you understand— and you can talk to him about it. Sure. If he's not visiting, you know, well, then that's go make sure he goes out and, and visits. Um, if he is not apt to teach, help him, you know. But uh, but if you look at those ordination vows, they are vows and faithfulness to Christ and his church, which is exactly, as, as a, a member of a congregation, where you want them to be. So, should I continue? Continue on. Now Thomas, one of the twelve, called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, We have seen the Lord. But he said to them, Unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails, and place my finger in the mark of, of the, of the uh, nails, and place my hands in, hand into his side, I will never believe. All right, stop there for a second. So this is uh, every year the time where we we pile on to Thomas, right? Oh, doubting Thomas, <laughs> because none of us would have ever been like Thomas, right? Right. Um. And uh, I mean, it is serious words because what is it ultimately rejecting in those words? Faith. I mean, right. And I, to me, the greatest sin is is this. Jesus appears to the disciples whom he has sent. So immediately we have an example of, of, of how this works out and what could go wrong. So Jesus said, as the Father has sent me, even now I am sending you. He anoints these disciples, Thomas not there, right, mm-hmm. to, to proclaim this, to be witnesses. We have seen the Lord. And, it's, and they go out, and the first person they come across, Thomas, oh, nah, not buying it. <laughs> the, the great offense here is, is the fact that, not that he doesn't believe that Jesus could rise or not, ultimately, it's an example of how we should listen to the witness of these disciples who actually saw, who put their fingers in the nails, put his hands where the side was. So that that is the greatest offense to me, is they ref- he refused to... Listen to the witnesses of those that Jesus has anointed with his spirit. Not just that he didn't believe that Jesus did rise or could rise. It was the fact that the ones that he should be listening to, who had been given this authority, anointed by God in Christ, by the power of the Holy Spirit to speak, he was like, yeah. And since Jesus had prayed he wouldn't lose not even one, except for the son of destruction, he cared enough to come to him. And give him that extra, right, right. So, you know. so Thomas, in refusing, actually refused to listen to the ones who were bringing Christ. And, and here Jesus made sure to, and that's a graciousness that he went back and appeared to him. So, continue on. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Then he said to Thomas, Put your finger here and see my hands, and put, your, put out your hand and place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. So, so as Jesus addresses this, remember how he says he appears to them, basically saying, though, don't disbelieve. You should have listened to them. They were telling you the truth. Right. They were the ones I sent. Right. And yet he is then also now anointed and called to preach and to speak. Go ahead. And then he makes a good confession here. Thomas answered him, My Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Have you believed because you have seen? 
Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And that 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 is something you find throughout Jesus' work, through John the Baptist, and through everything, where the proof in the pudding is not in what you see. The proof in the pudding is the word. The proof, you know, for example, uh, when John sent his disciples, are you the one or should we look for another? Jesus points out to the fact that he was doing what the Old Testament prophets said. Or you probably noticed how many times uh, a week ago you went through the passion of our Lord Jesus Christ and how often it said this was to be fulfilled. This is what fulfilled this. This is what was fulfilled there. Even after he died, this was to fulfill how he w- how no, no bones were broken, how his side was pierced. Even things that Jesus could not fulfill even while he because he was dead, was made sure it was fulfilled. Why? Because the proof was in what God had promised in his word. His word. And God yeah. promised in the Psalms, through Isaiah, through, through all those various ways that, um, that God promised a Savior would come and what he would do. And one by one, he checks off every box <laughs> so, that, so that no one can say, Jesus isn't the Christ, because the proof is not in even what you see, but... In, in what you see in context of what the Old Testament said this Lord Jesus would be. You also find this at Pentecost. When, when Peter uh, receives the Holy Spirit, and they receive the Holy Spirit, the same type of a thing on mm-hmm. Pentecost, and Peter preaches. Now you might say, well, he's here, he's preaching, but uh, now that he's filled with the Holy Spirit, he's not dependent on God's word to preach. No, actually what he does is he preaches, ser- preaches a sermon to the crowd based on Joel, and how this is a fulfillment of the Old Testament prophecy. So even as they're speaking in tongues and everyone's understanding them, uh, the proof was not in that miraculous event. The proof was in its fulfillment of Scripture. And why that is important to the people here is just, just, just as Jesus says here, blessed are those who have not seen and yet believe, because the proof for us is not in, is in the Word of God, independent of all those things. So even as you deal with Thomas, who did not believe, the greater proof is in the Word of God. And so we have something even more sure than, than what we would expect from even the disciples. Thomas saw, he lived, he was with Jesus, he was taught by Jesus himself, and yet it all goes back to, to the Word of God and the words of the apostles proclaiming that word that at first he did not believe. And the blessings is, are those who believe in what God's word says. And the reason why is this. If it's just believing by what you see, none of us will be able to see Christ. And the body of Christ could not be expanded to the ends of the earth. Not anyone, everyone could see, hear the actual voice themselves. But now that he is ascended into heaven and appears to him, sends his disciples out with that, and, and, and begins a church with this command to forgive sins, he is wherever that word is found, and we can trust in the surety that my sins are forgiven by the voice of Christ. Hallelujah. <laughs> All right. So uh, any comments on that? Do you need to revise your sermon? <laughs> I, don't, I don't think too much, you know? All right. I'll see what you think. I have another layer as you were talking about but we can we can do that later like an onion right yeah i imagine you'd identify with shrek because you got some scottish blood and it's kind of a scottish accent isn't it right and okay <laughs> and sometimes i have a boxer and he's all bouncing around just like that donkey so our dog so we have my a faithful companion your faithful friend the unconditional love of a dog yep all right so we have a f- confound the clerics, uh, clerics, and uh, let me fire up that email. Speaking of email, if people have any questions, yeah. While I look this up, why don't you let us know, Vicar, where on earth can they get a hold of us, and where on earth they could buy a sweet T-shirt? Okay. Well, they could email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. They could find us on Facebook at facebook.com/slash clericalheirspodcast. Or on Twiddle, Twitter, Twiddle, Twiddle, Twitter, <laughs> as you twiddle your thumbs around at Clerical Errors P. At P, me, bro. P for podcast. And if you'd like to 
uh, check out our store. It's store.clericalheirs.org. And there, there's also a link on our website if you would like to donate um, through Patreon. Very good. The question is, um, and by the way, uh, uh, Peter, the producer, maybe uh, as we go through this, I have, uh, I wanted to bring the listener in with my own mind sometimes. Because when I go through a question, this question, I've been think singing to my song myself this song. By the okay. way, Peter, play the intro. Confound the clerics. All right, now, now that we're back, uh, I've had this song floating in my head since I started thinking about this. Uh, the song is What song is that? I don't have it yet. Should I stay or should I go? Boom, 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 mm-hmm. boom, boom, I might have a job, but I can't afford to get sued. Maybe next time. Right? Yep. Because the question is, uh, and there's some uh, intensity behind it because she, she's gotten the invitation. Who? Uh, the emailer. I don't want to, I don't reveal who it is just in case. Okay. Because they're listener or, you know. And and every, all the people surrounding are listening. Okay, fair enough. So the question is: Is it a sin to attend an apostate's wedding in a quandary? First, I have to define what an apostate is, right? All right. So, do you still have time to weigh in? I just got the invitation. Uh, additional info: The officiant is a female friend of the bride's. Okay, so an apostate's wedding. Okay, so um, so you your question is. What? Well, I know what it, an apostate is, but we should probably define that, right? We'll do it. You're the vicar app. Someone who left the faith, right? Mm-hmm. So, um, the first place that we should look at this is the Ten Commandments. Right now, and so there's a lot of details we don't know, and we'll keep it. Uh, we'll just go through these because everyone, perhaps, is going to be in a situation like this, and there are some kind of details I think we should kind of bring out a little bit in this discussion. So it's kind of like, well, it depends. That adds another layer. Oh, you're you're <laughs> you you are living the the onion life today. All right, so. First things first. So you're attending the apostate's wedding. Some things to think about. First is the commandments. And I and I would make a distinction. I could perhaps make a distinction between whether you're going to the wedding and the ceremony or perhaps the reception. Right. Maybe there 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 could be a distinction mm-hmm. there. Okay? So, the first commandment, you shall have no other gods. So, is the wedding that you will be attending, is it a worship service or is it a civil ceremony? Vicar, give us the meaning, if you would, of the first commandment. We should fear and love God. We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. All right. And, and this includes not only the fearing of God, the trusting of God, but also, I would say, the public worship right. of God. So... If the wedding is presented as a a worship service in any way that would deny the true God, um, in Tri- a sense, yeah, the triune that that is would be uh, that would be gathering in a in a worship service where, in a sense, the God uh, you're you're calling upon a God who does either does not exist or is before the face of God, which is not something you want to do. So that, that is one aspect to consider that the wedding itself, if it is a considered a religious ceremony in any way, then that are you I would be more concerned with this commandment of less of your friend, but actually just participating in a service um, that is apostate service, so to speak. Um, 
And I'd actually have less qualms than with that understanding if it was just a civil ceremony, right? Right. I think you could draw a difference between there. If it is a religious ceremony, then perhaps that that would cause you, and it says uh, the mother-in-law is the officiant or something like that, um, that might clue you in. I'd add a layer, but I don't have oh, time right. for that. All right, Onion. Okay, Pastor, what if it's a religious ceremony for a Christian church, but it's a female pastor? Does that change anything? It, it, it just depends upon how comfortable you are not participating. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, because, uh, um, and, and I would also say this, too. Um, there's also a reflection on your place in it. You know, so for example, if it was one of my siblings, you know, that would be different than if it was just an acquaintance, you know, where me not being there would be more of an offense, especially since, you know, if it was a sibling, they would know at that point where I stand. I see what you're saying. I'm not giving them a false confession. Mm -hmm. Right? Right. And, or for example... Uh, if I'm a pastor, like in a t- if I'm in a pastor and I'm in a place where everybody knows I'm the pastor and I'm doing it in such a way that I approve of all of this because I, I, you know, I represent that. So that was especially participating in it. I would never. But I think, I think um, understanding your witness and how much of your presence is an approval of it or not. Does that make sense? Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, so we also have, um, another commandment, uh, and that is, uh, um, about the name of God, right? Right. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord, your God. And part of that is, is oaths, right? Is, is this an oath that you don't expect them to carry out? Is this a false oath? Um, I think so. So, with that in mind, um, is it an oath that you want to support? Because I would, I would say this too, and we'll get to this when we get to the sixth commandment. Um, and that is, in a way, I'm kind of lenient in this way, and that marriage is a blessing to all. And someone could be an apostate, and yet their marriage could be a blessing just to society in general as a creation of God, especially if it's in a civil ceremony. And if it's someone that maybe is living as though they are married, and it's just like, okay, you need to get married, whether it's, I doubt it accompanies with repentance necessarily. But on the other hand, it is actually good that they're getting married from a, a civil righteousness type of a thing. And that should be supported. Unless I add another layer. <laughs> I won't do that. Keep going. No. Add your layer. Unless it's because the a thing... same-sex marriage. Okay. We'll, we'll, we'll get to that, okay. too. Because um, then are you blessing an institution that is a good and blessing for society? No. So that I don't think that really is a layer. I think that just... That's just also then proves the point. Mm-hmm. Um, so, fourth commandment. What is the fourth commandment? I think the fourth commandment comes in is if you're going to bring your children along. You know, you are your your parent. You as a parent, you are God's representative uh, to your children at home. Is this something that you have to go home and explain to them what happened? Are you taking them along? Are they going to witness? Is it going to be confusing them to see uh, a, a friend that they perhaps they know? And and as because if you're close, you, they will know who your kids are. Your kids will know who they are. Will that be a reflection of what how they understand and bring confusion to to God's word for them? And so, as a representative of your of God in your home to your children, that would be a concern of mine as well. You know, it's not something I would necessarily bring my children to. 
right. if they're going to expe- bring confusion, be exposed to things that perhaps maybe they shouldn't be exposed to. If you if you're bringing your children, they say, "Oh, we're here because mom and dad think this is a good thing." Well, then I think that that does have fourth commandment issues. Um, and the other fourth commandment issues that it could bring is the fact that uh, um, that uh, um, there is a civil aspect to mar- to marriage too. What the government says. And the government necessarily has not had a clear confession of what marriage is anymore. So, the next commandment that I think really applies to this is the sixth commandment, obviously. Right. Right? And when we we think of, say, the sixth commandment, we do recognize um, that marriage is a blessing to all. Now, if you're going to this wedding and you're, you're thinking, there's no way... That they have any, any uh, desire to actually be faithful to each other. If it's a situation where they're already expressing interest in being in an open relationship, you know, or any of those things, if 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 you're there to support marriage, which is a blessing to all, I think marriage is a blessing to the believer and the unbeliever. It is what God created, but if it is done in such a way that is against that, it becomes more of a curse than a blessing, then you can ask yourself, is this something that I want to go to? Uh, Because I do think um, marriage is a blessing just to society in general, because that's what God created. It also brings order. Right. Even even for non-believers. Right. So uh, the other commandment that I was thinking about this is uh, the Eighth Commandment about bearing false witnesses. There's a reason why a wedding is public. Why? Gives time for anybody to, or an opportunity for anybody to say no, there's, they shouldn't. Right. This is why we don't, we don't really accept an oath of, of a, a gentleman and a woman by themselves because there's no witnesses to it. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, a, a man could say, okay, I love you forever, baby. Give me what I want. And obviously nowadays that's enough for most. <laughs> but but the, the point is that there are no witnesses. You know, Matthew 18, it's kind of interesting. When you go show your brother's fault, you go, and then you bring one or two witnesses and then you bring it to the whole church. And in a wedding situation, those witnesses are very important because they are testing. They made this vow of wedded love and faithfulness. I am witnessing. That's why you go to a wedding, ultimately, because you are witnessing that this is a blessing to the community. And so you would have to ask yourself, is by my being there, am I bearing witness to something that is good? Or I am bearing witness for something that is evil, mm-hmm. and and uh, I guess that's something that uh, because you, uh, as you wrestle this with yourself, you know. So in other words, I'm not don't expect me to give you a yes or no here. These are I'm giving you all things to think about that as you wrestle with it because you know the situation way more than I do, obviously, but. If you are, in a sense, bearing a false witness about what is going on by attending there and being there as a witness to something uh, that is wrong. There's something to say about playing along with a lie. The world asks for that right. a lot, and we can't do that. Right. So so I think that, that aspect, that commandment, plays a role as well. Um, and I think that's a good basis to start this answer is to looking at those particular commandments. Um, what about uh, um, biblical? Well, I would. There's plenty of text to think about that, like the people of Israel and God in this bride and groom relationship. 
does this marriage emulate Christ's relationship with his bride, the church? Yeah, well, that I mean, that would, if you were to kind of go down that road, then you would, in a sense, have to say the only marriage I would ever go to would be, right? Right. Um, and uh, I guess one thing that I would say then, so as you look at Ephesians 5, certainly that is instruction of how husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church. Mm-hmm. Um, I would say this, another... Um, I guess this would fall fall into direct writings of Scripture, but I would also point to Jesus' wedding at Cana, the wedding at Cana, Jesus' first miracle. Mm-hmm. We all look at that, and when we preach that, we say that from a histo- from the very beginning, we have seen that this is by Jesus attending the wedding and providing the extra wine for the wedding that he was blessing marriage and blessing what was going on. And um, uh, for him to do that, we see that as him being a witness, so to speak, on the, 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 the beauty and, and the gift of marriage. Now, one thing we don't know is we don't know if that wedding was apostate or not. Right. You know, I mean, we might assume that it is by their attending them, but do we? I mean, Jesus said, and intimated that a lot of his family didn't really believe in him. This is true. Another thing that I, I thought about on the flip side of this is um, is is Jesus. And I, I would say I don't want I don't think it is a guilt by association because that is what they threw at Jesus all the time. What did he do? He Eight with sinners. Eight with sinners, right? The fact that, oh, there's going to be a bunch of sinners there and the people getting married are sinners, um, I don't think that really is quite the same. I mean, he was there to be a blessing to them, certainly calling them to repentance, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and so maybe, as you think about this, maybe you could make a distinction between going to the actual ceremony and going to the reception. Right. Um, um, but also, I think, uh, do you have your Bible there? Some Maybe a pastor that might speak clearly, a little bit more clearly, is Romans chapter 14, verse 13. Romans 13, 14? Romans chapter 14, verse 13. It's in the New Testament. <laughs> Turned right to it. Look at that. 14, 13, 13 through 22 or 23. Do not cause another to stumble. Yes. Therefore, let us not pass judgment on one another any longer, but rather dis- decide never to put a stumbling block or a hindrance in the way of a brother. I know and am persuaded in the Lord Jesus that nothing un- is unclean in itself, but it is unclean for anyone who thinks it unclean. For if your brother is grieved by what you eat, you are no longer walking in love. But what you eat by what you eat, do not destroy the one for whom Christ died. So do not let what you regard as good be spoken as evil. For the kingdom of God is not a matter of eating and drinking, but of righteousness and peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. Whoever thus serves Christ is acceptable to God and approved by men. So then let us pursue what makes for peace and for mutual upbuilding. Do not, for the sake of food, destroy the work of God. Everything is indeed clean, but it is wrong for anyone to make another stumble by what he eats. It is good not to eat meat or drink wine or do anything that causes your brother to stumble. The faith that you have, keep between yourself and God. Blessed is the one who has no reason to pass judgment on himself, for what he approves. But whoever has doubts is condemned if he eats, because the eating is not from faith. For whatever does not proceed from faith is sin. All right, so the first thing I want to say that as you look at this, um, he is talking about Christians here. He's not necessarily talking about apostates. Right. right? Brothers. Brothers. And so 
uh, for some, the eating of meats, ceremonial meats, was an injury to their conscience, right? Right. And and so Paul's basically saying, if if that's the situation, I'll I'll refer, even though it's I have the right to do it, I'm not going to because I don't want to be a hindrance uh, to my brothers, right? Yep. I think as you you think about this, this approach that Paul has is a good one in the sense of he understands this messy world that we live in, right? Mm -hmm. And you can ask yourself, uh, is this kind of a a situation where perhaps I might be causing some of my Christian brothers to stumble, my brothers and sisters? Is it a way that, uh, in a sense, I might be and, and these are all questions, like I said earlier, you have to ask yourself because you know these people more than I do. Is it a situation where, um, in a sense, you're giving them a blessing of what's going on even though you don't desire to give it? Or, or do you consider it a, good, uh, a wedding which is good from a civil point of view? At least they're getting married, and you want to at least honor that good decision to be married. Um, so here I would say, look at Paul's approach and, and do you want, are you causing someone, someone to stumble by this? Um, any, do you have any comments on that Vicar? No. And I don't really have another layer to throw on that either. Just at this point, I think you've got that good answer too of, Perhaps it's not the ceremony, but the reception that's more appropriate. Right. Depending on how many layers there are for this thing. So some things that I, I think that then this of, of things that I think I don't know that you might know um, that might help you even bring more clarity. One, um, is this someone that you have an opportunity to actually talk, the, the kind of relationship where you can talk about your concerns with them? Um, uh, perhaps you can think about how is it that I can support my friend without injuring my own conscience? So, um, because relationships are messy and whoever this, I don't know who this person is, whether it's friend or family or, or anything, but, you know, sometimes we even have friends, uh, uh, Berg was here. He would. He would. Uh, it was it Augustine who, who, after his conversion, he had all these friends. He was a different man at one point. And then after conversion, it was kind of a bother to him. You know, maybe it's a situation where you got to know them when you yourself were a different person, and that you've changed. That that might give you an opportunity to say to talk about it. But my, I guess my point is, is. I think there should be some honesty. Like, if you don't go to, in effect, and they ask you why not, I think you should be prepared out of Christian love to answer why. Um, Now, like I said, I don't know the situation, but if you're talking about bearing witness and you're looking at the commandments and you're talking about... um, all those things about not being a stumbling block and what is what kind of witness am I giving to my family or to my children or to the people that I know. That's, you know? And that's where your allegiance is, right? To your, to your Lord and to your family and to your, your brothers and sisters in Christ. So after kind of going through those, uh, that like causes street, you know, too, mm-hmm. then but, you can start talking about right. that. So I, I tried to ans- answer this, Hannah, in a, a way of casuistry, in a way of say, the saying, not, you know, here are some things to think about. Because in a lot of these situations, we want to seek a just a black and white answer. Um, and as you're wrestling with this, there just isn't one. And things are getting more and more colorful out there. Right, right. But hopefully... Through these, we've given you some things to think about and consider so that you don't injure your own conscience. Um, and that you can make, because 
usually it's, it's, it's just like with a lot of things. Pastors know this behind the collar all the time. There, a lot of times, is no 100% perfect answer to these things. And uh, that's what sin does. It makes everything messy. Um, but I think, I think we've given you a basic, uh, some basis of a lot of things to think about as you make that decision. So, Vicar, do you have anything else to add? No, I don't think so. I think we're. And, uh, um, and may, uh, may you, uh, maybe you can give us an update of how it went. <laughs> All right. I think, uh, we've have enough time for our show. Thank you for listening. I'm Bullhagen. I'm Vicar. And may, may your onions, onion have layers. Although Berg likes garlic. Thank you for joining us. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Play, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. Questions, thoughts, concerns? You can contact us on Facebook at facebook.com slash podcast, on Twitter at clericalheirsp for podcast, or email us at feedback at clericalheirs.org. Thanks for listening to Clerical Heirs. See you next time.